Hello and welcome to podcast number thirty-nine. Right, thirty-nine. Well, it's like it's like forty-two, but we this is actually like officially thirty-eight. I think. <laughs> oh, okay. It's, yeah, it's like the forty-second one, but we are really bad at keeping track of the episode numbers. Um, we got kind of a doozy today. We got uh, both bad lieutenants <laughs> and the Oscar-winning movie, The Shape of Water, and. I, I kind of want to start out and say I watched The Shape of Water last night, and that's yeah. got to be the weirdest porno movie I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a weird it's a weird movie because it won Best Picture, and like, like I've listened to a bunch of other people and read articles where like that was like the safe quote unquote safe choice. I'm like, really? <laughs> the Shape of Water was the shape safe yeah, choice? I was like, man, this is like. This is like something that normally you'd have to go to the dark web to find, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I honestly, I probably wouldn't have liked the movie at all, except for Michael Shannon is awesome in it. <laughs> of course. He was like, I mean, he, in, in my opinion, he like totally freaking uh, saved that movie. Like he had some really great lines where, uh, like, mm. it, like towards the end, he's in that dude's car and he's like, get out of the car. And the guy's like, but it's my car. And he's like, get the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> the, guy's like, the guy's like, your finger stinks. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, he's going around like, with rotted fingers the whole time. He reminded me of like a Stephen King villain. Like, yeah. He totally like, was like, he was like one of the kids from It growing up, basically. Right, right. <laughs> like, it was funny, too. Like, so I'm eating these caramel-filled M&Ms. I don't know if you've had them. There's these new M&Ms that have, like, a shot of caramel in them, and they're fucking fantastic, oh, no. right? Oh, They yeah. are really, really good. So I'm watching the movie. I'm eating these caramel-filled uh, M&Ms. Mm-hmm. And at, at one point, he was like, yeah, I love this candy. He's like, some people go for those freaking candies with a caramel center or some sort of foo-foo shit. And I was like, oh. Because <laughs> <laughs> I literally had some candy with some freaking caramel foo-foo shit in it about to go in my mouth. I was like, oh, I just got burned by Michael Shannon. And he didn't even know it. <laughs> You're like, ah. Uh, then you just turned it off. You're like, fuck this movie. Yeah. Um, well, and I was going to ask your opinion on this. I kind of got a real Wes Anderson vibe from this. Like, I, I don't know why. Maybe it was like that soundtrack. He kind of did the soundtrack how Wes Anderson does his, uh, yeah. his soundtracks with like that ethereal. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it was like a slightly different aesthetic. But the whole time I kept thinking this really seems more like a Wes Anderson movie than a Guillermo del Toro movie to me. Excuse me. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I get that vibe for sure because like the everybody's like really like really quirky in it too right it's like so it's like it's more like a west it starts out like with a real west anderson type, type of vibe yeah you for know, sure it's got like that you know everybody's really quirky and it's kind of like the freaking impossible weird love affair um although i don't recall ever seeing like vaguely tentacle porn in um any west anderson's movies Oh man, it's the second, 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 second podcast in a row, tackle porn. Yeah, I know, right? We're starting to get a freaking theme here going. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, and then then, then all the uh, kind of like the musical number stuff. Right. Kind of a, I feel like it was more like Wes Anderson like stuff, but I mean, I still felt like it was Del Toro because I don't know, like, I liked it a lot. I I don't think it's his best. I mean, Blade 2 is his best, obviously. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, Blade 2 is the shit. Yeah, but that's, like, goes without question, you know. But, but I like, I mean, I liked it. And I, I'm glad that he won. I mean, it's really cool that he won. And, I mean, 
Everybody's giving a lot. Everybody's got giving a lot of stuff. Like, it's like oh, Lady Bird Show One is the first female like female directed movie, and like Get Out was the you know first, like um, directed by a black man, and this one was like directed by like a Mexican guy. And so it's like yeah, it's, it's, it's like win win no matter what. I think it's like sure. Now what was, was uh, it, what was <laughs> Darkest Hour didn't win. So. What was Three Billboards Outside Evans, Missouri? What was that nominated for? I was pretty much nominated for everything. That did you have you seen that? Mm-hmm. I like that one. Yeah, that, I, I I loved that movie. I, that was one of those mm-hmm. movies that um, somebody brought it over to a movie night and was just mm-hmm. like, I don't know, it's got a really weird title, and we didn't have like much hope for it. And you know, the next thing you know, the movie's over, and we were like, Holy shit, that was amazing! You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Frances McDormand won for that one, so obviously, right? So, and which she was pretty was awesome. I love. The yeah, part. I mean, there's been. I, I love the line in that movie where she's with that cop in the car and she's like, well, I have a confession to make. I burned down the police station. And he's like, well, who the hell else would have done it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that one has a real complicated like storyline too. And like a lot of people don't like it because it takes kind of, it has kind of like a pretty basic idea of like racism and this and that but i think it's a little more complicated than that for sure yeah i haven't seen it again in a while so i couldn't really discuss in depth but i think there's a lot more to it than a lot of people well everybody i watched watched the movie with um was really disappointed in the ending they like wanted her and the cop to go kill that guy at the end Uh, but i'm kind of like well it's better that it's implied you know and yeah, I really liked that it didn't have any closure with who raped and killed her daughter. Like, you know, they were going to kill that guy knowing full well that he wasn't the dude, but they figured he was a bad dude, so they were just going to kill him anyway. And it was like, well, that's awesome. You know, this is like the birth of a superhero right here. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think I my, my feeling is that they didn't actually go and kill the guy. They probably chickened out or something at some point or just decided right. not to. Right. That's my take on it. Um, but I don't think they had any intention of... Um, like that's really good. You don't really see that very often in in mainstream cinema. And I don't know if I'd even count that as mainstream cinema, but you know, like it's very rare that you see like something that leaves the end up to your imagination like that. You know? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's the point of the movie, like for them to go kill this guy. So I think you know, I mean, it's, the movie is like resolved with them kind of riding off together. Yeah, type of thing. I mean, right. Like at least the story of the movie is for the most part resolved. Yeah. So, uh, and I, I okay. So I read your review of um, Bad Lieutenant Protocol, and I agreed it very much. Um, Trevor put up a review, and the only it was one sentence. He wasn't really that bad of a lieutenant. <laughs> <laughs> no. So sadly, we discussed it last week, and it didn't didn't get like technical difficulties. We didn't get uh, discussed, but we had a nice discussion about who who was the worst lieutenant. Yeah. But, uh... And Harvey Keitel in the original Bad Lieutenant, like. He wins hand down, you know. Um, like, you yeah. Know, yeah, Nicolas Cage definitely was not. He wasn't a good lieutenant. There's no question he was. But like, it was kind of like he was just a like a, a really inappropriate lieutenant. He's not like a bad lieutenant, you know. Like, I mean, you can't. He was a, put, he was a competent. He was a competent lieutenant, actually. Yeah, yeah, and like, I mean, you can't put like. Yes, he takes out that couple, and he like screws that lady in front of her freaking boyfriend in, in yeah. exchange for like not busting him for coke. I mean, and that's yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty depraved. But it's not nearly as depraved as going on full, like going full on Louis C.K. in front of a fourteen and fifteen year old girl because they stole their <laughs> daddy's car. Um, 
you know, and uh, as it weird that the, like, the Nicolas Cage scene is almost played for laughs. Yeah. Whereas the the, the Kaitel one is just like, oh, oh my god, yeah, like, what and, is happening right now? You know, and watching it, like I, I haven't really watched the movie in 20 years until you know we did it for the podcast, and I was like, this scene is just as shocking like 25, 26 years later as it was when it came out in 1992. <laughs> like, I'm still left feeling like I have to take a shower after that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean Abel Ferreira made it, and, like, he's, his movies are just... They're, they're rife with stuff like that, and he doesn't he doesn't give two shits. No, no. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> like, it's like he almost enjoys provoking or, like, absolutely just scarring his, his viewers... Um, yes. you know, like he was like hey okay what kind of depraved shit can i have this guy do all right well i'll have him smoke crack with two freaking crazy naked ladies and then run around the apartment naked he's like you know that's pretty that's pretty bad but it's not quite as bad what can i what can i do to top that in this next scene <laughs> he's like oh i'll get two 15 year old girls and i'll have him scar them for life with some disgusting freaking masturbation <laughs> with a very well-placed uh Side view mirror. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it's like uh, you know, like how you had said that that freaking um, Nicholas Cage was actually a kind of a competent lieutenant. Like the whole time I'm watching Port of Call, you know, Nicholas Cage mm. is actually working the case and like getting clues and hunting down the killer. And I'm like, what the fuck, man? You're the bad lieutenant. You're supposed to say you're gonna do something and then go do a bunch of depraved shit like smoke crack. You know, um, <laughs> you're not supposed There's to actually like... work the case. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of like segments where it's just like it's just like a Law and Order episode, but like like heightened a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and, and and I didn't like that they kind of gave Nicolas Cage like a back a backstory for his fall from grace. You know, yeah, yeah. he gets the he gets the guy out of the jail, and then the, he hurts himself, so they give him painkillers, and that like starts his slow spiral into into corruption, but. Uh, you know, there's no real motivation in the original one. You know, Harvey Keitel, he gets up, he takes the kids to school, and then he starts doing fucked up shit for the rest of the movie for no real reason other than fuck it, you know? <laughs> Except that, you know, he's, he's just a, a, a fucked up person. And yeah, he's just a bad, end, yeah. he's just a bad he's lieutenant, just, you know? He's just a bad lieutenant, man. <laughs> bad. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, and I mean, and like, there's just, there's like no aspect to his character that is good at all, you know, like even his cop buddies who, even, you know, even corrupt cops will stand behind like the thin blue line, like we're all brothers, mm. stick each other up, but not, not Harvey Keitel, <laughs> he's like trying to rip them all, rip them all off by placing bets the wrong way. <laughs> so he can make his make money, and he he keep they keep he keeps losing, they keep winning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, like he keeps they keep winning, and it's like by the time the end of the movie, he owes them all like twenty five, thirty thousand dollars each, you know. And he don't care. He don't, <laughs> he's you know, like, Meh. he's like, whatever, I'll get out of this. I'm the bad lieutenant. <laughs> Yeah, I think that was like his excuse too. He's like, "What are you gonna do? Kill a cop or whatever?" Like, yeah, yeah, it's what he says. <laughs> actually, like, they actually they are. Actually, yep, they they decided that it was not worth the uh, the trouble anymore, and they were gonna kill him. Um, and you know, and look, I, I brought it up before is about how uh, I just wanted uh, one of the characters in the Nicolas Cage version of it. Um, I wanted one of them to just go, "Hey, excuse me. Um, are you aware that you have a loaded forty-four Magnum pointed straight at your dick?" 
Uh, <laughs> you know, he, he, he seems to have he, he seems to have no holster. I don't. Yeah, I don't it's like they didn't issue him some sort of freaking shoulder holster when he became a detective, which I thought that was like mandatory part of what you did. You know, you have to have that shoulder holster when you become a detective. But no, um, he decides he's going to do what's called a Mexican carry and shoves a freaking huge large caliber handgun right on his like I, I kept being like that's got to be like resting on the, the the shaft of his cock like how could he be like thinking about anything else other than what if i accidentally shoot myself in the dick <laughs> like this is uncomfortable i wish i had a holster yeah i wish i had a holster <laughs> my freaking balls keep getting pounded by the barrel of a freaking large handgun <laughs> And is that like I don't, know, I don't know anything about anything, but like, is that like I feel like that gun is like too big for like just a regular like detective or lieutenant? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, can absolutely. you can you just carry any gun? Yeah. <laughs> is that uh, well, see, cops generally, and I mean it does vary from place to place, but but law enforcement they generally carry forty millimeter pistols, which um, are mm. considerably stronger than or considerably less than a 44 magnum like i've shot one of those 44 magnums before and it's freaking mm. crazy how powerful it is like you actually feel the recoil in your teeth you know like you, it, every single piece of your body feels when that freaking gun goes off and you know in an actual shootout it, it wouldn't be nearly as freaking um effective as is like a 40 millimeter or uh like a 38 because you know, you're, you're so worried about it freaking blowing up in your hands, basically, that you're not going to be able to aim properly. You know, every time you shoot it, you're going to go deaf for a fucking hour. <laughs> and I'm just like, don't, oh, you need, like, don't you need like, don't you need like both hands? And doesn't it like kind of like just like, basically, like if you don't brace it, it's just basically going to hit you in the face. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> like, you, have to, you have to firmly plant your feet and hold it with both hands and be 100% ready to freaking to brace yourself for it because if not it's going to jerk back and break your nose <laughs> uh, i think i fired one of those once too and it was it was just like what the fuck is happening yeah yeah well the time i fired it they filled the chamber up with six rounds and i shot one yeah. and i'm like okay whose turn is it now and they're like you don't want to you don't want to <laughs> empty it and i'm like no thanks <laughs> I was like, I'll, go back, I'll go back to the smaller caliber that doesn't make me feel like i'm gonna die every time i pull the trigger it, fr it frightens me that's gonna like somehow like pull the trigger it's gonna like turn around on me and shoot me in the face somehow yeah, yeah absolutely you know it really and i mean it does and i'm i'm fairly you know like i'm trained in guns and all that for my job and mm. even me i'm like no that's no good <laughs> like i'm terrified <laughs> i am terrified of that I, i'll go back to the small guns that that just sort of make a little pop now even a small gun is loud but not like a 44 magnum loud like that thing is ridiculous yeah definitely <clears throat> but um yeah and like we we had the argument about it and i'm i'm kind of coming around about all the weird lizard stuff in bad lieutenant protocol about how you know he's like what's this iguana doing here and then it was like going to like shaky cam of the iguana for no reason yeah it was like it was like it was like like a minute or two of just like this weird like you could tell it was just shot off the cuff and kind of like before or after they, they they just shot or like the shot the actual scene or whatever it just looked like it was just like like uh Werner herzog was just kind of like oh let me get all these weird shots right now of like the iguana and this and that and yeah let just me just throw like... that in there for a little filler um but i also i also felt like it was kind of a nod to in the original back lieutenant it did have some of that sort of weird symbolism in it but instead of a lizard it was jesus who would just like randomly appear um and we, yeah 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 battle time was a little more just like on the nose i guess but not in a bad way it was right. more just like well, very literal like 
<laughs> he goes he goes to church and he finds Jesus there, like literally just standing there. Just standing there like looking at him. Um and then well there's so there's a really good part which I thought was kind of awesome symbolism in that where he I can't remember what he's doing. It's one of the real depraved things he does. Um like mm. he's like smoking crack with those two crackhead ladies that are always naked. And, yeah. and like it just randomly cuts to like Jesus like dying and crying on the cross, and like I was like, well, that's kind of good symbolism because he's like kind of represents like the very bottom of man's depravity, and you know mm. when you get into the whole religious aspect of Jesus, it's like, well, okay, this is what this is what Jesus died for was because you know human beings have such a capacity to be wicked and evil and awful. Mm. <clears throat> I think it was during the rape scene, wasn't it? I feel like yes. Yes, I think it was like doing that. They 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 cut to like a really like crazy shot of Jesus on the cross. Yeah, like just screaming. I was like, yeah. whoa, that's and, that's that's intense. That is intense. And like and like, I would like to point out that that's why, in my opinion, Harvey Keitel wins for being the real bad lieutenant. Is that you know, freaking Nicholas Cage did some bad stuff, but okay, <clears throat> Harvey Keitel was such a bad lieutenant that freaking mm. Jesus tells him to give all of his money to two crackheads who raped a, a nun. You know, like that's bad. You know, like, I mean, freaking Jesus himself comes down and he's like, "Hey, you should give all your money to the two crackheads who raped the nun." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I guess that's, that that becomes like the complicated part of like religion and like that type of forgiveness and stuff like that. So I guess maybe that's where that is kind of coming into play. Yeah, kind of thing. And, but I feel like. Herzog, like Werner Herzog, like he he does this bad lieutenant movie, but I don't think he has it in him to make Nicolas Cage such a bad lieutenant. Right. Because even when he's he's being like bad, it's almost like ah, he's not gonna do it. Like when he's like strangling the old lady to get yeah. like information from the the one the one guy's like grandmother or whatever. Right. He's like cutting off the oxygen for the old lady. Like even that, it's it's like it's and he's like threatening her with guns and stuff. It's like even that's kind of like it's kind of funny. Like, yeah, like, yeah, you're kind of well, and like you know, Warner Herzog always has a lot of that in his movies where you're not sure if you're supposed to be horrified or laugh. You know, like you're yeah. like, hey, this is okay. You know, like freaking um, Grizzly Man, the documentary about the guy who was maimed by grizzlies. I mean, it's a documentary mm. about a guy who ultimately is maimed and killed. Him and his <clears throat> girlfriend are both maimed and killed by grizzly bears. And like the whole yeah. time, I'm like, this is fucking hilarious. Like this guy is such a crackpot. I can't help but fucking laugh at how much of a fucking crackpot this guy is. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing though. But Herzog doesn't find him a crackpot. He finds him like a, a generally interesting guy. Yeah, like that's why he's filmed. Right. He has like like I forget what he said. He said he has he doesn't have like he doesn't know what irony is. Right. Because that's not how that's not how he is. He doesn't like make fun of people when he's like making a movie about them. He doesn't know what that means. So. Right. He, he's not into that type of cynicism. So yeah. it's like when he he when he, when he's filming Grizzly Man, he's like legitimately like interested in this guy. And like when he's listening to that tape, he's legitimately, oh my god, you must not ever listen to this tape ever. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, he's oh my god. That woman, he's like, Do not listen to this tape. Yeah. Well, and you know that's what's kind of great about it is that. Like, mm. it, it actually sort of makes sense. Like, him not really having a sense of irony puts a shitload yeah. of irony into his film. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. like, when, when he talks, it's like, is he, is he making a joke? Yeah. It sounds like he is. He's not, but it sounds like he is. It sounds like, he, it sounds like he's cracking wise here, and he's got his tongue in his cheek. And so but, but the fact never that he is. does it <laughs> makes it even more ironic. I mean, I think, I think what explains it to, to me, too, is it's like, he loves he lives out here in los angeles and he loves it right. and that just seems like 
I don't think a lot of people do. Like, and you don't think of Herzog loving it, but him and like David Lynch, like love living in California, LA, right. in like an unironic way. Like they truly love right. Which you living think, out here. I think out of like all famous film directors, that those two would be <clears throat> real anti Hollywood. You know that they would be like, oh, Hollywood corrupts and destroys the freaking medium. Um, but I, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of beautiful women that live in in Los Angeles. So I guess there's <laughs> that. You know. I think I think it's just like it's a it's a weird culture and like from that aspect it is like really interesting to live out here. I I I don't know if I like it or not. Still, I've been right. out here for a while and I still I still think I hate it. Right. Right. Part of that too is you got to remember um, if you're Warner Herzog or if you're David Lynch, you can be yeah, pretty yeah. well insulated from a lot of the freaking bullshit fakeness that you get from Hollywood culture. You know. Yeah, they're up. They're like up in the hills, like living like a, like just like probably modest housing and just like just like you know, I mean, just like just right. You know, David doing Lynch whatever maybe they goes want. to the big boy occasionally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> he paints a painting. He you know does whatever. Right. You know, and it seems like you know once once you get to a certain level, it's like you can kind of get beyond that. But everybody else in the trenches has to put him put up with that whole, you know, infamous like L.A. is so fake and awful culture. You know. Yeah, like like on that like on that that front, it's always funny like talking about Herzog loving it, and then I'll watch you know watching his movies, and then watch I'll watch Vanderpump Rules, which is a reality show which right. takes place in an LA restaurant, and it's like the the fakest people ever. Sure, but I can't I can't stop watching <laughs> like ever. Oh yeah, man, uh, reality <laughs> shows are terrible for that. Like you know, like on one hand, I'm like I realize this is like everything that's wrong with you know, media today in general and like, you know, the visual arts mm. as an art form, this is like the very, very pulpiest, lowest form of trash, you know, it's like the National Enquirer version of television or cinema. Mm. I was like, but I still can't stop watching this shit, you know? I was like, I don't know how many hours I wasted catching up on Ben and Pump Rules the last three weeks. Because <laughs> <laughs> I found out like the like last few, few seasons were on like Hulu or something. And so we, we just watched Hours and hours and hours of fucking Vans. It's like, right. I can, like, and we'd be like, you feel like a movie? Nah. But then we watch like three Vanderpump Rules, which is the equivalent of a movie. Right. <laughs> like, now, like, have you actually have you gone the have you gone the extra distance and actually gone to the restaurant that it's set in? Not yet. There's a couple now that they're set in, but I, we haven't gone to those yet because they're we're in Burbank now, so it's it it could be like it might as well be in San Diego. Sure. <laughs> like, sure. Like, <laughs> Yeah, West no. Hollywood might as well be in fucking San Diego at this point. Like that's how it is around here. It's like if it's more than ten minutes away, it's kind of like, do I really want to go that window? <laughs> like I don't know how many plans I've canceled just because. Like I don't want to go drive into fucking downtown. Like go go into Hollywood. It's like, right. Ah, it's gonna take it's gonna take me a half hour. It's gonna take me fifteen minutes to park. 10 minutes to walk to the place and then double that because i'm gonna have to do it all again i think i'll just say i'm sick or said that the baby's sick i was like oh i can't emmett's sick sorry yeah. like, i don't know how many plans i've busted just, just because i'm like because you didn't want to actually drive have... there yeah i remember my like dad talking hassle. about how um my uncle my father's oldest brother lives in mm. um canoga park and mm. uh he freaking um 
went to visit him as a teenager and i remember him talking about how like they him and my grandfather drove out there and my dad talking about how shocked he was that like he got to los angeles city limits like it was like welcome to los angeles he's like oh we drove all the way across the country we're finally here and then it was like another four and a half hours before he had to get into, get into his, his brother's house and he was just like i got ripped off man i've been in, in, i've been stuck in a car not moving for four hours <laughs> Yeah, man, when you hit a certain area, like like where this restaurant is, if you hit like a certain time, five miles will take you 20 minutes at, yeah, at, at least. And you're just like, there's no other way to get there either. I was like, I have no other way to get there. I was like, I got to go this fucking route, man. San Monica. I was like, I got to go this way. Like, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, like, pretty, yeah. it's pretty awful. And uh, for our listeners, we should say that, that Trevor and I both grew up in a really tiny <laughs> dipshit little town where the idea of heavy traffic was like there was an extra horse on the fucking street, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We had no idea what rush hour was, really, because it would be like, oh, my God, work would be like 10 cars in the highway. <laughs> yeah, you know, if, if like the rush hour traffic might delay you five minutes, maybe. If there was an accident, you'd be delayed by yes. about five minutes. Um, and also because of us living there, uh, it used to be not really that big of an issue to drive long distances because for us to get into anything we liked, we had to drive out, you know, drive an hour away at least, um, you know, like being two teenagers who were into like obscure and independent movies, you know, it wasn't mm. like you could just get on the internet and click it and watch it. We actually had <laughs> no. to get in the car and drive an hour and a half east to the freaking video store that had, uh, actual indie movies. Yeah, we take like trips to like fucking game stores even. I think I remember like going to like fucking Altoona or something for like a like a video game store or, like just to yeah <laughs> for, for, for like because they, they didn't have them there and then if they did it was just like really shitty like you'd have to just go like on day trips yeah and, and we like, did that I'm... all the time and now it's kind of like why would you even do that because you can just get on the internet and get whatever you want you can get any <clears video throat> game you can get any movie. I mean, when did we get when did we get a blockbuster there? It was like oh. after. It was, I think it was like we got a blockbuster, and then like right after they started closing them, basically. Yeah, yeah, no, it was. <laughs> I would say it was like 1999 or 2000. I know by the time we actually got a blockbuster, it wasn't something that we were really excited about. Whereas we used to sit mm. and talk about how we just wished we had a blockbuster video because they had a foreign film section and an anime section and you know indie mm. movies kind of thing. Um, and then when we finally got it, it was kind of like, well, yeah, that's cool. I already moved. I, I think we both are. I mean, we probably moved away multiple times, but I already moved away for good. Yeah. So when I came back, it, it was just like blockbusters, like sweet. Right. And it was just like, it just didn't like, yeah, it quickly went out of business basically. I think it went out of business like one of the first ones too, basically. Like yeah. it was like one of the last ones opened and one of the first ones closed. Um, and, you know, I still love the irony of that, which is I remember being a kid in, like, say, 1985, and mm. my parents and, like, my adult family, and I'm just a kid, um, went to the video store and rented a movie, and my aunt being like, I don't like renting movies because I like going to the movie theaters, and <laughs> the video store is going to kill the freaking traditional theater as we know it. Like, within five years, the video store is going to completely wipe out the whole theater industry, and we're not going to have movies anymore because nobody's going to go to the theater. They're just going to rent videos. You know, and here it is 2018, and there's no video stores, but you can still go to the theater and see a movie. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that the going to the movies will ever go out of style. 
like they've always said that when TV first was invented and yeah, like they always said that, but it's like, it just, they just evolve. And like, now you have the movie pass, which is like 10 bucks and you can go, I think, well, I mean, you used to go to a lot of theaters. I think they're really altering it now. Yeah, they are pretty so, much. I, Cause I actually just looked it up about a week ago. Uh, to see, like, well, you know, I might do that because uh, there's a there's a movie theater mm. like literally three minutes from my house now. I was like, I wonder if that movie theater has that, and like, it basically every movie theater for a hundred miles around like, honored it because you know they know where their bread's buttered. Um, and you know, there's there's, yeah. there's always going to be something to be there's something said about you know getting out and and <clears throat> actually going out and sitting in the theater and having it on that big <clears throat> screen with the sound and the special popcorn. You know, mm. that it's not, no matter how hard you try to replace it at home, and I've seen some mm. pretty admirable attempts, it's still not quite the same. It still doesn't have that magic of having to go out and see something, you know? And that's the one good thing about living here, for sure. <laughs> like, it's, like, if you love movies, it's a movie lover's dream because they're, theaters playing old movies all the time all the time and you can find them all weekend all like like whatever you want to see like you can go see it on a big screen it looks phenomenal right like great sound so it's like it's like going to see old movies that you have you've never seen on the big screen before is it's fantastic you, yeah you can still you still do that it's still fun to do and i don't know how many times i've seen like the fucking thing or anything else john carpenter on in the theater because it's just playing right. it's, it's like oh it's, it's it's coming around it's playing it's like let's go see the fucking thing on the big screen again cause yeah it's fucking amazing. And, and that is that is awesome because there's quite a few <clears throat> movies that i'd really love to see in the theater mm. you know and yeah. you know even if i was to travel to dc or baltimore I might be mm. able to catch something, but it's like I'd have to actually plan it. You know, it's not like I could just like, oh, I'm going to go down to the mm. theater and see something. You know, like mm. there are th movie theaters that show old movies in, in Baltimore and D.C., but like mm. only a very small amount of them do that. And you have to catch mm. it on the right day, you know? Yeah, I mean, if you came, if, if I wanted to go see something tonight, I could go like like probably like four or five different spots. I could go see like an old movie if I wanted to. Yeah, and that's fantastic. Just <clears throat> which is pretty cool i think actually monday is actually a, a down day for most of them i think most of them start on tuesdays I think, yeah but, no, uh... that makes sense because as as <laughs> people going to see movies mondays the, the dreariest of days but yeah like i, I remember watching um <clears throat> the old robert altman film shortcuts i mm. think it was sh no not shortcuts the player with tim mm. with tim robbins and like that, oh, yeah, what yeah. I took away from that was like that guy goes and sees the bicycle thief out every day. <laughs> How cool right. would it be that I could go watch an obscure freaking Italian movie from like the '30s, like every night of the week if I wanted to, you know? It was isn't Tim Robbins' line is like a oh, great movie? We should option it or something. Like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> and Vincent D'Onofrio was like, "Well, you would you would change the ending, you right. make it a happy ending." <laughs> <laughs> it's like. That was even before I'd seen the bicycle thief because it was like, yeah, cause, but that was just like, yeah, I don't know what that means. <laughs> like, yeah, what, well, what it was, he was weird. About? <laughs> I, like, I, that's the same for me. It's like I had never seen it, but I thought, oh man, now I have to go see, go watch the bicycle thief. Like my education is incomplete. I didn't really like it all that much. I mean, I thought it was all right. It's it's pretty good. I mean, it's you have to take it with when it was made type of thing. Right. It's pretty. I did a whole Italian neorealism class, uh -huh. not to fucking suck my own dick right <laughs> but that was but that was like a, like a big thing it's like that was like a huge departure from like what italian movies were at the time right. so that guy there i'll give you a little, my, my two cents on De Sica though 
He did, if I remember correctly, he did that, right? Which mm-hmm. was like pretty, like just earnest. Right. And then he tried to do, I think this other, like this kind of like magical realist movie. Right. And it didn't, it didn't do very well. So then he basically went back to his fucking bread and butter and did like the saddest movie ever called right. Umberto D. Umberto D. Right. Uh-huh. And I, I hate that movie because it's it seems like it's like somebody had failed at something that they really wanted to do. Right. So they was like, okay, well I'm gonna do the Bicycle Thief fucking times eleven. Yeah, I'm just gonna go back to what's safe, what I know is gonna work for me. So that so that's my my take on that. Everybody always talks about Umberto D. is the greatest movie. Like it's not Bicycle Thief is way better. Yeah. Like, but Umberto D is basically like, from my remember, is like basically his him going back to like, oh, nobody liked this movie. I'm gonna go back to this people, movie. Yeah, know, like what people movie. liked. And I'd rather see somebody try and fail than to somebody just accept mediocrity. And, and you know, and it's weird. It, it seems like you see that with a lot of directors where mm. you know oh, yeah, yeah. they'll do something really successful and then they'll try and really kind of push themselves and it doesn't work. Mm. So then they kind of go right back to being super safe. <clears throat> that's like a, a, I think makes me think of the prequels of the Star Wars movies, right? Yeah. The first one is all pure pure Lucas, right? And which which I mean, I don't know how you feel about the you probably don't like the the, the prequels, but I like them. But I like the first one more than I like the second one because the second one was him basically responding to all the critics. critics in the first yeah. one. No, I like. So I think the, the second like one the prequels a lot this, better. Than I think the second one is. I think the second one is like the worst one because it's him just responding. Yeah. Um, because there was so much backlash over Jar Jar Binks and the Phantom Menace. And, you know, and like, I, I really liked, I liked all three of them. Um, you know, there was some stuff I didn't really like. I mean, that he kind of kiddified it and candy coated it when it was supposed to be like darker than the first three. Um, but I, oh, I mean, they're not perfect movies by, by any stretch. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, like it was one of those things where I'm like, come on, you know, cut the guy some slack. You know, he's got something amazing. Um, well, mm. it, it, okay, it, this is a perfect example right here. Is Bad Lieutenant Port of Call wasn't a bad mm. movie. I thought it was a pretty no. good movie. But when you compared yeah. it to the original Bad Lieutenant, it was like, oh, man, <laughs> this just doesn't hold up to this. You know, and, like, the prequels, I feel, are kind of the same way. Is that, like, they're not yeah. bad movies by any stretch, but because you're comparing them with freaking great, groundbreaking, iconic movies, there's no mm. way they're, it's, you know, it's damn near impossible to make something that freaking stands up to that. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, like, the Bad Lieutenant movies, they're both good movies for sure. I don't know if they should both be called Bad Lieutenant for sure. No, but they, I don't know if it would. I don't know if the second one would have been made if it wasn't called Bad Lieutenant, though. Right, so. right. Um, you're, and, I think that was the, that. That was the whole thing was that it was like I'm going to make yeah. a Bad Lieutenant movie. I think it was like the company had like the name, the rights to the name or something. But and so they were just going to like basically make it like a, a weird sequel or a reboot or something, and like somehow. Herzog talked them talked them into like him doing it. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's like I'm gonna do it. Like, so he could finance his 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 latest documentary about like the like caves or something. Yeah, it's, yeah. Well, that's That's one of those things where like Abel Ferrar is kind of the film director's director. You know, um, <clears throat> yeah. Like you know, your average guy doesn't <clears throat> know him like on the freaking level of say like if you say Quentin Tarantino or like Martin Scorsese, like the average guy is gonna go, oh yeah, he makes great films. But if you say Abel Ferrar, people are going to go, who the hell are you talking about? Unless you're talking to somebody who's in the industry and really makes movies. And then they're going to go, oh, dude, he's the shit. I love his movies, you know? Yeah, somebody at some point had seen, like, one of his movies and either usually liked it enough because it's like, 
Yeah, I mean, in the 90s was his heyday, I think, for me, because, like, he did Bad Lieutenant, King of New York before that, I think. Yeah, and that's amazing. Which is fucking movie. dope. Yeah. He did, like, The Funeral with Christopher Walken, and then he did The Addiction, which is super interesting about, like, this black and white movie about... It's, like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a amazing black and white movie about vampires, but basically what, like, I think she's, like, like some sort of, like, English major. Right. So she basically goes around and, like, talking, like, and having these huge philosophical discussions with people the entire time about being a vampire and about like, <laughs> I was thinking, and I hated it at the, at the time and I haven't gone back to it, but it's like, I remember Christopher Walken pops up for a scene and talks like 10 minutes about like some obscure like book reference or something for like 20 minutes right. because it, because it, it pertains to like being a, like, like a vampire somehow. It's like, like, I was like, what the fuck is this? It's crazy. It's happening. <laughs> yeah. But that's kind of fun. I, I don't know. I, I yeah, enjoy yeah. that kind of stuff sometimes. Um, and I love the At scene. the time, I was just like, I mean, at the time, it's like, this is not Bad Lieutenant or King of New York, but I mean, I'm sure now I think I'd find appreciate it. You'd probably like it more. Thing. Yeah. And I love the scene in King of Lieutenant when all the thugs roll up on Christopher Walken in the, uh, in the subway to rob him. And he just like pulls his coat back, and he's got that massive freaking weapon on him. And then instead of like being like, "Okay, I'm gonna fucking kill all you guys," he's like, "Here, here's my big wad of cash. It's nothing. You work for me now." I'm like, "That is fucking gangster as shit," you know? Oh yeah, and then the the, the the classic David Caruso killed at the funeral. Where yeah. He just pulls up next to him and just fucking blasts him. That's insane. Yeah. And, what, and, and like the cops in that were awesome how you know he was yeah. so good at being a freaking rich drug dealer that he drives all the cops over to the edge and they go rogue you know early wesley snipes for sure yeah 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 <laughs> um you know yeah. and that's something that from like being in law enforcement somewhat it, it's, it's like a really big deal because you know that's like they train you like really really hard like never let somebody get under your skin so much that they're going to change your behavior like if they're getting under your skin because they're going to change your behavior then you know you know you really need to consider if you should be in this job or you know you really need to be conscious of that and in king of new york he gets under all those cops skins so bad that they're like fuck it we're gonna risk freaking going to jail for the rest of our lives to bring this guy down you know yeah they basically create some sort of rogue unit like 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 just like they just fucking go rogue and it's like fucking we're gonna murder everybody yeah, we're done with this cool. uh, the, this whole due process bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so um, we're coming up on 40 minutes, actually. This is a lot a lot faster than I thought it was going to be. Um, of course, we had three pretty decent movies to talk about. Um, I, I'm trying mm, to definitely. think if there was anything that I wanted to bring up about The Shape of Water uh, that I didn't. Um, have you ever seen the Bjork movie, Dancer in the Dark? Where she's like, yeah, it, it kind of reminded me of that, too. Now, I didn't like Dancer in the Dark at all. There's a big, mm-hmm. long story behind me in that movie. But like, I kind of <laughs> felt like it sort of had that vibe, too, where, you know, this woman can't speak, but she has this really rich internal life going on. Yeah, yeah, I see that. I wouldn't be shocked if that wasn't like an influence for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's always a big movie buff. And you could tell in that movie that it's a big love letter. It's like movies and, you know, I mean outsiders and stuff like that so right even if it's even if you, you don't like the movie i think you should respect it for like just like it's a personal vision for, and he got to make his he gets to make his own movies all the time it's it's yeah and great, that's pretty so. cool even if they're kind of weird and, and 
You know, I mean, you know, he won an Oscar for this one, so you can't you can't fault him mm-hmm. too much. I, I, like you said, I'm kind of glad that he won an Oscar because, you know, it, it's somewhat unlikely that you would think that he would win an Oscar. <laughs> yeah, he, he's such like when in interviews, he seems like such a cool guy and just like so down to earth and just like he just seems so really cool that you know, I mean, I wouldn't. I would want nobody else to win an Oscar but him, type of thing. Right. Like he's just like he's just he just seems like a cool guy. So nice. Hopefully he hopefully he can make some really cool movies now because of it. So yeah, that and that that's a good point. Is that you know, when you win the Oscar, it's pretty much like you get a blank check for your next movie. You know. I mean, hopefully, like he talked about making like a, a Lovecraft movie forever and like a haunted mansion movie. So maybe those things will finally come Both to play. That'd be have sweet. The potential to be very cool for sure. <laughs> they would be fucking great. Yeah. Cause nobody's actually, I'm, I can't think of anybody who's actually pulled off a good Lovecraft movie. Like I've seen quite a few, um, mm-hmm. like in the mouth of madness. Uh, and I remember the Dun- Roger Corman actually made the Dunwich mm-hmm. horror, like in the seventies or something. And I mean, they were okay, but like, they didn't really kind of live up to the potential of Lovecraft <clears throat> stories. Uh, I think the 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 John Carpenter, we, well, we can talk about it later. But the Madness is like Lovecraftian, and I think it's the most Lovecraftian movie that's not really a Lovecraft movie, movie. But right, but uh, I think Stuart Gordon's made a few, but that's for another. We can talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode, and we'll be back next week. And uh, I don't know if you have any ideas for next week. We should actually have a special guest. I don't want to actually announce a special guest for next week because we have lots yeah. of people who like are like, oh, we love listening to the podcast, and we want to be on it. And we're like, hey, we have an open door policy. If you want to be on it, we'll like, let you on it. And then they never show up. So we'll literally let anybody, yeah, <laughs> come on. Here. You know, if somebody wants to come on, that's cool. Um, I'm down for having another person to talk about movies with. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Sweet. Sweet. All right. All right. So uh, we'll see you next week, and um, like, subscribe, and leave us comments. Or, or don't. Whatever. Or okay. don't. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. <clears throat> cool. All right. <clears throat>